Well, good morning. Glad you're here today. Take your Bibles and let's go to uh, James chapter 1. I want to welcome you today and also those of you who are watching uh, via the internet today because you're out of town or have sick kids. We're so glad that you could be a part of our worship service today and uh, experience what God is doing here at 96th in town. Welcome. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. God, in front of us is your sacred word that gives us everything we need for life and godliness, and we need to receive it today as a gift from you and also as a sharp instrument that is designed to pierce through all of the veneer that we put up. And I ask that you would do that today, mercifully but firmly, that you would awaken us to the danger of our anger, and that you might lead us then to your Son, Christ, for forgiveness, for healing, and for sanctification. So would you come now, Holy Spirit, illumine minds and hearts as it relates to this matter, and as you did and have done in so many ways, in so many times with so many people, maybe even today, would you draw somebody to the Lord Jesus, having them be converted on this day. And we we ask for your help now, in Christ's name, amen. This Sunday we begin our annual relationship series, and um, we've done this over the last five years, taking a break from our steady, regular diet of kind of doing a book study. We'll pick Exodus back up when we're done with uh, this series on anger. But what we want to do during this month is um, get into some very specific things that are inordinately practical. Every Sunday should be practical, but there are certain themes that are just unusually practical. Over the last five years, we've looked at a number of different subjects. Uh, the first one that we did was how to kill relationships and irritate people. And uh, that's, that's my picture, by the way. And that's not a book, just so you, a real book. When, when I did that series, people were like, how do we get a copy of that book? And I was like, dude, there's no book like that, man. It's just my picture. So anyway, so, and then approval junkie, which is actually me at, at age 65. And then we have, um, oh, be careful, little mouth. License to kill was last week or last year, rather. And then uh, this year, obviously, we're looking at dangerous. And the goal is just to show you how applicable the Bible is to your life. Two years ago, we started Live. And the idea with live is that we would take this relationship series and we drive it even deeper. Uh, we want to take this content and then have you experience what it's like to discover new truths and talk about what you learned on Sunday in the context of a small group. And we just, we think that it's vital for your soul that you're involved in some kind of community, whether it's an ABF class or a small group. And so we use this series to kind of highlight small groups and we've seen a number of you sign up which is wonderful and then even people who will continue over the long haul and that's part of our goal another goal in all of this is that you would taste the beauty of god's word applied to specific situations and that would create an appetite for you to engage in counseling training or soul care for you for you to be able to say wow this is really practical It's helpful for me, but I'd like to help other people or maybe even go deeper in my own life. And we have a phenomenal resource with our soul care department under Pastor Andrew Rogers' leadership and just some great material that is available just to help equip you to know how you can handle God's Word. So our goal is for you to get connected in the small group, to get deep with the content, and then to get trained. In fact, that's one of the reasons why um, I'm sharing this series with Andrew. Next week, he'll be taking the sermon, then back to me the next week, and then he'll conclude it, just so that you can 
see the beauty of God's Word applied through a variety of uh, personalities and, and giftings. So our aim is to have Christ formed in you. That's, that's our shepherding elder goal. And we think that, as elders, that Christ formed in you looks like us dealing with the subject of anger. Now, why deal with anger? A couple reasons. In the first place, our congregational survey revealed that um, many of us struggle with anger. In fact, a, a significant percentage of people in that survey responded that they either personally struggle with anger or somebody in um, their immediate family really struggles with anger. So as elders, we said, hey, we, we've got to speak into this. This is a very personal and practical issue. There's another reason, though, why I landed on this particular uh, subject, and that is that I sense as a culture there is an increasing tolerance of anger, increasing evidence of anger. Increasing examples of anger. For instance, um, when I took driver's training, there, there wasn't even the term road rage <laughs> back in 1983, I think is what it was. Okay, um, My boys completed their driver's training, and they said, Hey, Dad, do you know there's various forms of road rage? And I said, no. And they said, in fact, I think you evidence one of these. I said, hey, you know, back off, right? <laughs> so so they, 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 they have road rage in terminology. Okay. Um, Think, for instance, of what's happened in the last 10, 15 years with the advent of reality TV shows. Um, reality TV shows are hits only if there's conflict. I mean, nobody watches a reality TV show when everybody's getting along, right? Ratings go up as the anger increases, and so part of our new entertainment model is to watch people get mad at each other. I can hardly even turn on a news program anymore without seeing people from various viewpoints not only trying to have a discussion, but often it turns into yelling, screaming, and something that I just find rather offensive. That this is, this is how we are now discussing our issues. With the advent of social media, we now have a new platform for people to rant, um, to uh, give them a venue to be able to express whatever their wicked, sinful heart thinks and then to send it to the world. And as well, we have an increasing pace within our culture where life is so busy with so many pressures that it isn't long until this busyness begins to lead to frazzledness, which leads to frustration, which then leads to sinful anger. So I, I think we have a lot of issues around this matter of anger that press on us. And here's the problem. I think that part of the problem with anger is that we have become so accustomed to it, so familiar with it, that we could be guilty of losing our sensitivity to this issue. Human beings have always been angry. They've always been angry. But it seems that in our day today, it's more tolerable, more normal, and frankly, sadly so, it's even viewed as funny. And I just want to say anger isn't funny. It's dangerous. It's a real issue. In fact, I think it's more dangerous than we might even think. And part of the danger of anger is that we don't realize how problematic it can be. Because anger is one of those sin issues that hides in plain view. It would be unacceptable for us to try and justify a sin like lust. But yet anger is really easy to justify. I think anger is just as deadly as lust or greed, but the problem with it is our tolerance of it, and that is part of the problem. So we need to talk about it, we need to get to the root of it, and we need to see its manifestations, and then God helping us through Christ, we need to repent from it and turn from it and find new ways of freedom. And I hope, I really hope that happens for many of us during the next month.
When I talk about anger, I just I want to speak into one little subset. There's some of you who know very well that anger is dangerous. I don't need to convince you of that at all. You lived with it for many, many years. You grew up in a home with an angry parent, maybe even an abusive parent. So I don't need to convince you that it's wrong or that it's dangerous. You've seen the devastating effects. But here's the thing. I hope that you find some healing through this series. But I also hope that you're able to find a path forward so that you won't repeat the mistakes the sin issues that maybe your parents and grandparents, you may come from a long line of angry people. And I just want you to find what it means to be free from that, to take one next step in your generation so that you can find freedom in that regard. It's easy to learn the ways of an angry man or woman. You live with them long enough, you start acting like them. And my guess is some of you who were raised in abusive homes, you swore up and down, I'm not going to be like my dad. My home's going to be different. And then every once in a while, that ugly thing from the past manifests itself. And you think, you know what, there it is. And I just want to show you from God's word how to deal with it, how how to work through that so that you don't repeat the past and that you don't make the same mistakes. So I think this issue of anger is a really important one for us to address. And I think you're going to find some things from God's Word that are really helpful as we tackle this problem together. The title of today's sermon is this, The Reason Anger is Treason. And I'm putting two words together intentionally. They're loaded words. The words anger and treason. I'm putting those together because what I want you to see is that The first step in dealing with our issue of anger is recognizing its relationship, the relationship between anger and our relationship with God. You see, anger is not just an emotion that we feel. Do you know what anger is? Anger is a weapon that we deploy in our attempt to control our lives, to change undesirable circumstances, or make people do what we want them to do. Friends, anger is not just an emotion. It's a weapon that we deploy when things are difficult, and because I can't change the circumstances, I've got to do something, and so I get angry. Or it's a weapon that I deploy when I want somebody to do something, but either logic or persuasion or simply command isn't cutting the mustard, and so therefore I need to get angry so that they do what I want them to do. It's a weapon that we deploy. As a result, there's all sorts of sin issues that happen because of anger. It doesn't usually just happen on its own. There are other things that go along with it, and next week Pastor Andrew is going to help us understand the varying species of anger. The book of James addresses anger in the context of a broader theme about what it means to be an authentic Christian. That's what chapter 1 is all about. This first chapter is not about anger alone. It's really about what it means to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer. But in the context of this idea of authentic Christianity what it means to be a doer of the word and not a hearer, James adds in this discussion about anger, and it gives us, I think, some great instructions. So let me give you three reasons as why anger is treason. Here's the first. Anger is treason because it's contrary to God's agenda. Look at verse 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers... 
And what James does here is he's going to give a, a bit of wisdom. The book of James is filled with little snippets of wisdom. And here's one. Here's a sort of a proverbial statement that he gives. Know this, beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So... Essentially, what James says is, if you're going to be an authentic Christian, or the fruit that should follow real faith, if you're going to be an authentic follower of Jesus, then then do this. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I mean, this, this just makes sense, doesn't it? It makes sense that a, a follower of Jesus would be somebody who would be quick to listen. They would be somebody who would be slow to give their opinion, and also someone who's slow to anger. Now, before I go any further, I just want to acknowledge something, lay this on the table, that one of the hard things about dealing with anger is that the text says slow to anger, not don't be angry. So this issue isn't black and white. you, you got to work harder than just don't be angry, because there is such a thing as righteous anger. And it's challenging to try and figure out what is the difference. Let me give you a definition. This is my definition of righteous anger. Maybe you can improve on it. This is as close as I can get as I've thought about this. I think righteous anger is this, is a controlled outrage which motivates a person to act decisively. So I think there's a good anger, there's a righteous anger, a controlled outrage. That's, you see something that's just wrong and you're, you're outraged, you're offended, you're, you're mad in a, in a good and righteous sense. In fact, part of the problem is that we get mad over the wrong things and we don't get mad over the right things. So we need to figure out what is, what is good anger, what is righteous anger, but it's controlled outrage that motivates a person to act decisively. If you've got a, a friend in your life and they're just throwing their life away by virtue of their sinful behavior, it takes a great deal of courage to get involved, go to their house, sit down and say, look, I love you, and at the risk of our relationship, I am going to get in your grill and tell you, you are not living correctly. That takes courage. And it takes the emotion of outrage and even anger to say, look, I need to do something. I have to act decisively. So at one level, we need more of that. We need more righteous anger. What we need less of is sinful anger. So when I'm talking about anger in this context, I'm, I'm talking about it only in the sense of sinful anger. And what James is saying is that Christian obedience... Authentic Christianity looks like somebody who listens well, doesn't speak brashly, and who is in control of their spirit. And look, this isn't rocket science. If you're around somebody who doesn't listen well to others, who constantly interrupts people, who quickly gives their opinion, who prides themselves in telling you everything that they're thinking, and constantly lives in an emotional state of DEFCON 4... (laughs) This person is not spiritually mature. There's a connection between anger and a lack of maturity. I mean, if you've raised kids, you know this. A kid throws a temper tantrum. They fall on the ground. They kick their feet. They rail their, flail their hands all over the place. They knock their head on the floor. I mean, at one level, when they're three or four, you're like, come on, don't do that. That's bad. That's naughty. If they're 30, you're like, what's up, right? I mean, it's like, like, it's like, what is going on here? So there's a, there's a spiritual maturity thing that's connected with it that just makes sense. I mean, even today, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, this makes total sense to you. The idea is this, that look, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, if you're going to claim to be a Christian, then there ought to be certain behaviors that fit with that, and sinful anger is not one of them. 
So we can all agree, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, we can all agree that anger, sinful anger, is bad. Now, what's great is the Bible in verse 20 tells us why. Verse 20 says this, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. The word for in the Bible is really important because the word for tells us what the last sentence is all about in terms of the reason why the writer would say this. So James says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why? For the anger of man, that's the reason, does not produce the righteousness that God requires. What does that mean? What he's saying is this, that God has a goal in life, a goal for you, a goal for the universe, and his goal is righteousness. It's the purpose of why Jesus comes and dies on the cross. It's the purpose of why someone is converted. It is so that righteousness can become a reality. And what he's saying here is that God wants righteousness, and that human anger doesn't lead to that goal. Let me state it clearly. That my sinful anger is incompatible with God's goals for my life. If I have goals for my life, and God has goals for my life, when I use anger to try and accomplish my ends, I am suddenly going down a different path than what God would want me to go down. Therefore, every time that sinful anger is in play, the issue is whether or not God's agenda is going to rule the day, or whether my agenda is going to rule today. Sinful anger happens when there's a collision between my agenda and God's agenda. I want what I want, God wants what he wants, and when there's a collision, that's when sinful anger happens. I want my life to be like this but it isn't so i want to be god i want to control i want issues to be taken care of the way i want it to be taken care of and that's when sinful anger manifests itself so listen lurking underneath all of our lives is this constant struggle between god's plan his ways and my plan and anger surfaces when those agendas clash anger is my subversive attempt to take God's place. It's my attempt to say, this isn't fair, I'm not going to be treated this way, I don't want this in my life, and if I can't have it that way by circumstances, I'm going to make it by virtue of my emotions. And when we do, we take the place that only God should have. Let me show you this in Romans chapter 12. The Apostle Paul says this, Beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, I love what the NIV and NASB do with this verse. Instead of saying, leave it to the wrath of God, they say this, leave room for the wrath of God. In other words, there's a place for wrath, there's a place for anger, but it's not your place. The idea is that in the midst of all the things that are going on, in the midst of all the issues that are taking place, there will come a day of judgment, there will come a day of wrath, but that's God's place, not my place. And so dealing with sinful anger is coming to a realization of who God is and who I am. It's coming to to embrace a mindset of, you know what, I'm not good enough to be this angry. Only God is good enough to be this angry. Because, mark it down, there is lots of anger. There's lots of wrath in the Bible. God is not only full of love and mercy, but he's also full of wrath. But he's good enough to sustain that wrath in a righteous way. 
Leave room for the wrath of God. Here's another one. James chapter 4 says this. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? In other words, when you sinfully judge your neighbor, what you are doing is you're acting as if you're God. Because it says there's only one person in all the universe who can be both lawgiver, can tell people what to do, and determine definitively if they obeyed or not. There's only one person in all the universe who can decide absolutely without any argument from anyone else on planet earth that this is true and right and someone obeyed and they didn't and that is God. Only one person is qualified to be both lawgiver and judge. And so when we judge our neighbor, James is saying, who in the world do you think you are? So James chapter 4 is all about quarrels, it's all about fights. Chapter 4 reminds us that behind our sinful anger is an orientation that acts, even for a moment, like I'm God. Think with me just for a moment of the last time when you were sinfully angry. I mean, when you really blew it. What were the thoughts that were running through your head in that moment? My guess, there were thoughts like these. I don't deserve to be treated this way. This is not fair. Parents, please, please, please teach your kids a theology of fairness. they got to understand what fairness really is. I'm I'm being misunderstood. They really don't care for me. i got to stand up for myself. And the backstory is that we want life to be a particular way, and when it's not... And if God isn't circumstantially allowing our life to be like we wanted it, then we're going to make it like that, and we're going to make it like that by getting angry. So what sinful anger is then is simply an expression of my desire to control my life. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. When I get sinfully angry, I have hijacked God's agenda and said, I don't care about your agenda, it's my agenda time. Do you remember being told in elementary school by a firefighter or some other safety personnel what you do if you catch on fire? Remember what you're told to do? There's three things. You're to what? Drop and roll. It's pretty amazing. All, I mean, we all know that, right? That someone did a really good job of teaching us that. But also, it's, it's pretty simple, isn't it? I mean, from a public health standpoint or from a fire safety standpoint, that's a, that's a, someone did a really good job in helping all of us to know what we should do. I did a little research on that whole idea of stop, drop, and roll. It's it's just a fascinating little thing that I found. The reason why that's so helpful is because it's simple, it's memorable, um, because it would be effective in stopping the fire on on a person's body. But, But the main reason it's so effective is because of the first instruction, stop. Because what happens when someone catches on fire, I mean, obviously you're going to freak out when you're on fire, and if you begin to run around you'll A, increase the amount of oxygen going to that flame so it'll get worse. And as well, people can't help you to put the fire out. You need other people to help you. And so therefore, by giving the first command to stop, it actually brings clarity in the midst of a significant crisis. So what you need a person who's on fire to do is to stop. And that way, someone can come and help. I want to suggest to you that dealing with anger has a similar urgency to it. When you're angry, instead of thinking about stop, drop, and roll, I want you to think about this. I want you to think stop, think, 
and seek. Stop, think, and seek. If you can do just the first one, God helping you, you'll have huge victory steps in dealing with anger. What I mean by stop? I mean, whatever you're doing because you are angry, stop immediately. Right? Don't, don't send the email. Stop. Stop writing. Walk away from the keyboard. Right? Don't say what you want to say. Don't do what physically you want to do. Whatever you're inclined to do when you're angry, it's probably going to be wrong and you're probably going to regret it. So stop. The other one is think. Consider your heart. Ask yourself, what's really going on? What does the Bible say about your feelings? We'll talk about this next. And third, seek. Turn to God in prayer, telling him your complaint, pouring your heart out to him and asking him for help. So stop, think, and seek. The first step in dealing with anger is bringing spiritual rationality back into the equation by reminding ourselves that the real issue in anger is having a sinful agenda that's other than God's. This is one of the ways that spouses, you can help one another. And this is one of the ways my wife helps me. When I get torqued about something, if it deals with our kids, she'll be like, Mark, I got this. And that's code for, you're sinning, let me handle this, right? And then I tap out. I'm out, right? So I'm, I'm out. I'm out, right? Heading to the locker room. I'm done, right? And so, and I need her to tap me out, right? And I need to tap her out when, when she's not doing well. And we need to intervene because anger isn't rational. It doesn't want to be asked, why are you angry right now? Ask an angry person why they're angry. You'll find out. That doesn't work real well. It is irrational, and a result, we do things that are irrational, they're not helpful, and there are things that we do that later on we will regret. And come on, you've got a story, just like I do, of things that you've said, things that you've done, and you look back and go, why didn't I just stop? So the first step, church, is understanding that anger is a strong emotion It's sinful when it collides with God's agenda. That's the first reason why it's treason. Here's the second reason. It rejects the counsel of the word. Look at verse 21. Here's another important word in the Bible, the word therefore. So if for tells us why um, anger, uh, why we should be slow to anger, therefore tells us what we then ought to do. So here's a solution to it. Therefore, putting away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now remember, James is talking about what it means to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. And the remedy that he says is to put away filthiness and rampant wickedness. And anger certainly is a part of that cauldron of filthiness and rampant wickedness. He says to take those things and put them away from you by doing what? By receiving the implanted word which is able to save your soul. When he says save your soul, he's not referring to an initial conversion. He's using the word save your soul as a broader term throughout the Bible. is often used this way. This term is used this way to describe the process of you verifying that in fact what you believe is indeed genuine and then you are formed in the image of Christ. In other words, we are saved and yet still being saved. And so he says, receive the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. It's able to help you and form you and make you into the likeness of who and what Jesus is. 
So we're to receive the implanted word. What does that mean? Well, it means in the new covenant that when a person receives Christ, they suddenly now have the internal witness of the Holy Spirit written on their hearts. They have God's word inside of them. They have the storing up, if you will, of the treasures of God's word such that they know that the way that I'm acting right now doesn't fit with the command of Scripture. And we're to receive the implanted word. Either it comes by conscience, where as you're angry, there's this voice in the back of your head that says, this is not the way you should be acting right now. This is not the way that God wants you to live. And you know what it is that you're supposed to do. That implanted word is there. The Bible talks about anger in so many places. In fact, one of the reasons why you need to spend time in God's word is because, well, personally and corporately, you you remove your heart and mind from this book and you will begin to believe your own narrative. Your own narrative in your brain sounds like, I should be treated better than that. They shouldn't be so unkind to me. This isn't fair. All I wanted was a life free of misery and, 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 and pain. All I wanted was kids who loved me and thought I was wonderful. All I wanted was a spouse who thought I was I hung the moon. That's all I want. And the reality is you start believing that that's the script that should be a part of your life. And you need the Bible to come through and cut through all the noise of your personally developed self-centered script. We all have them. So you need to receive the implanted word. Let me give you some examples of what the Bible says about anger. Ephesians 4.26 Do not be angry, rather. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So bottom line is, if you're an angry person and you go day after day, week after week without resolving issues, you open the door for the devil. You open the door for all sorts of other things. What starts as a, as just a, 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 a tense conversation can result in verbal words going back and forth that can result even in a physical altercation of some kind. And it's just these things grow. Proverbs 14, 29. Listen to this one. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. The idea is, if you are slow to anger, you wave the flag of wisdom. But if you have a hasty temper, you wave the flag of a fool. It's like you walk in the room and go, fool in the room. <laughs> little bumper sticker that says, idiot on board. Right? If, if you, you have a, a, a hasty temper, everybody around you knows that issue already makes you an idiot. Proverbs just says it fits. Hasty temper makes you a fool. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Some of you, and we'll talk about this week four, you live with a very angry person, and you need to know that a soft answer can turn away that wrath. You ever tried to argue with somebody and they won't argue angrily? It's really frustrating, isn't it? <laughs> It'll make you mad. Um, it's, it's really hard to argue with somebody who won't up the ante. Proverbs 19.11, good sense makes one slow to anger. It's his glory to overlook an offense. So the question is, what do you love more? Do you love the glory of overlooking offense or do you love the glory of revenge? Proverbs 29.22, a man of... Man, a, a, a man of wrath, okay, I'll get it. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Here's the other thing: if you're angry, it's just the tip of the iceberg of all of the relational body bags that your anger creates, from words and actions and people walking around eggshells around you and 
So much transgression. Matthew 5, 22, I say to you, everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. 1 Peter 2, regarding Jesus, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. But I love this. In fact, if you memorize one verse on anger, memorize this one. But continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. You gotta have a big view of God in order to deal with anger. You have to have a huge view of God's sovereignty. God, I'm gonna leave room for your wrath and I'm gonna entrust myself to you because at the end of the day, you're the one who judges justly. That's what you're missing, by the way, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Christ. You're trying to deal with burdens and hurts and pain and anger, and you're trying to do it all on your own. You will never be able to do that. Never. It won't work. Because the problem isn't your anger. The problem is the essence of your soul. You actually have to be born again. God has to completely change you from the inside out, or you're never going to be able to deal with this issue. And finally, 1 Peter 3, 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary... Bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. And that's just a sample of what the Bible says. It says a lot more on the subject of anger. And so what I want you to do is when you begin to feel angry, and that's tipping into sinful anger, you need to stop whatever you're doing, and you need to think. You need to think. What does God's Word say about this moment? Think. What does God want me to do here? Think. Think. What is the right thing to do? Think Because your sinful emotions, sinful angry emotions, they're like two-year-old children. They don't want to be told, sit down and be quiet. But you need to tell your angry, loudmouth emotions, sit down and listen to the gospel. I don't have to act this way. You don't have to run my life. I don't have to be controlled by you. And for that matter, there's a bigger agenda that's in play. But the problem is, is when we get angry, thinking is not what we do very well. So we need the spirit. Sometimes we need a friend to say, hey, what are you thinking? I think I've told this story before. A couple years ago, our family was traveling along the road somewhere, and some guy cut me off and was dangerous. I had to, you know, take evasive action driving to save my family's life. And I was like, (laughs) whatever, you know, clueless that they even did this. I was... I was ticked, and I was, I was mad. And so I sped up, went the left-hand lane, getting up faster. And, I'm gonna, and about that time, my wife looked at me. She said, what are, you, what are you doing? And I said, well, he cut us off. And she said, I know, but what are you, you going to do? I said, I'm going to pull up next to him. And she said, okay, and what? And I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at him. And it sounded so powerful when it was in my brain. I was like, I'm getting it, man. I'm going to pull up and I'm going to look at him. My wife said to me, and... And that's when, like, the whole power of the moment just kind of evaporated and the car went, "Mm, all right, let's get back in line But for a few short seconds, I was like, I am going to get this guy and I'm going to get him good by looking at him. I'm just like, what is that? And I'm not the only one who's ever done that. But you know what that is? We're just not thinking, right? We're just mad. And so we do things that are ridiculous. 
idiot on board. Right? That's what you're saying. Hmm. So why is it treason? It's treason because it rejects the counsel of God's word. Here's the third thing. And this is sober. Church, sinful anger invalidates the gospel. Look at verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is, what's the next word? Worthless. Can you just feel the weight of that word for a moment? This this, this person's religion is worthless. Now this makes total sense to those of you who are raised in abusive homes who also were so-called Christian homes. Because it's one thing to have sinful anger in the context of your home. It's bad enough. But it's even more egregious when the people who are sinfully abusive sit in a church service and they act as though they're righteous. And it's outrageous to you. And it's no wonder that some of you who are raised in that kind of context, you not only were like, this abuse is wrong, but Christianity must be wrong. And for some of you, it took you years to kind of get recovered in terms of what real Christianity was because of this disconnect between abusive behavior and religion. And I'm telling you, verse 26 says that's totally legit. That's right. No wonder you were outraged, and you should have been. However, it doesn't mean that Christianity is broken. It means that people are broken. Verse 26 makes this point very clear. If you think you're religious, but you don't bridle your tongue, and I know it doesn't say anger, but come on, the context clearly implies that anger is in view. The text says that this person deceives his heart and the person's religion is absolutely worthless. In other words, listen to me, sinful anger is incompatible with gospel-centered living. A person who claims to be a Christian but who refuses to control his or her sinful, angry tongue is self-deceived. Their religion isn't valid Because if the gospel works, then it ought to show up in how we deal with this issue of anger. The problem is, is we don't, we we domesticate anger. We we don't, we don't treat it like this. We think lust and sexual sin, that's, that's like the varsity sins and this stuff. This is, uh, but you know what? No, Paul doesn't make that distinction. Look what he says in Galatians chapter five. The works of the flesh are evident, meaning they're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. And we're like, yeah, that's right. Those are all bad. But then look what he lists next. All issues related to anger, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. All these things are connected to, to, to anger. And then he says, I warn you, as I've warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Doesn't mean that you lose your salvation, but what it means that if you have an angry heart and you can't get a grip on it, then the question is, do you even know what the gospel is? Because gospel centeredness means that you understand that everything you have is a gift, that you have unbelievable crimes that you've committed against God, and He's been gracious and kind to you, and your whole, the whole optics on how you see the world has to have fundamentally changed in the new birth. Otherwise, the question is, did you really experience a new birth, or did you just say words? Colossians 3 says this, Put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. But then he goes on to say, But now you must put all of them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. He lists them right in the context of what it means to be new or not be new. 
So I think sinful anger is as deadly as sexual immorality because it is just as indicative of a heart that is in incompatibility with the gospel. The problem, though, is we treat anger as though it's not. John Piper says this, In marriage, anger rivals lust as a killer. The reason he says that is because anger is so pervasive. Some people have more anger than they think because it has disguises. When willpower hinders rage, anger smolders beneath the surface and the teeth of the soul grind with frustration. It can come out in tears that look more like hurt. You know, people can be angry and cry and they use their anger expressed through their tears to try and get their way. The heart has learned that this may be the only way to hurt back. Or it may come out as silence because we have resolved not to fight. Or another favorite sport among Christians is passive-aggressive behavior. I'm not going to blow up because i got to keep the pretense up that I'm in control. But instead, I just treat people with shunning or silence, or I deny things the way that they really are. For instance, someone says, what's the matter? Nothing. Come on, something's wrong. No, there isn't. Come on, it seems like there's an issue. There's no problem. What, what, you, you, you have the problem. It's not me. And what that person is doing is, without blowing up, they are expressing sinful anger in a passive but very aggressive way. Piper continues, it may show up in picky criticism or relentless correction. It may strike out at a person that has nothing to do with its origin. It will often feel warranted by the wrongness of the cause. So the root of anger and the root of sexual sin are both the same. They're both self-centered attempts to get what we want and what we want our way. Both Sexual sin and anger treat people as if they're not important and both create damage that lasts for years. So anger is incompatible with the gospel. It invalidates the gospel. James says, if you think that you're religious and can't control your anger by virtue of your tongue, your religion is actually worthless and you are hopelessly self-deceived. So why is it incompatible with the gospel? Let me explain why. The gospel message is this, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. It means that God has a plan for the universe, and that plan involves saving undeserving sinful people. It tells us, the gospel tells us, that people are natural-born sinners, and we deserve nothing but judgment, and that God, who's rich in his mercy, extends love to us through Christ, and he forgives us of our sins based upon the death of Jesus. And as a result, from that point forward, it alters forever our understanding of fairness. It means that everything that we've received in life is a gift. It means that even when we're unfairly treated, it's part of God's plan to form Christ in us. It means that everything in life works in order for us to be have, to have Christ formed in us. And that is the lens through which we view life. So when something tempts me to be sinfully angry, I need to stop. I need to think. And then I need to seek God's help. I need to ask God to remind me of important truths that are rooted in the gospel. Truths like, only God is good enough to be angry. I'm not good enough to be this angry. I'm a wretched, awful sinner. I deserve nothing but judgment. 
In Christ, I have been treated better than I'll ever deserve. And I'm called in Christ to be just like Jesus. It's God's place to settle all of these injustices. And the Bible tells me that in Christ, one day God will settle all accounts. And until that day, I leave room for the wrath of God. That is an incredible gospel-centered focus. And we have to preach that gospel to ourselves when we are angry. So when anger comes knocking at your door, or maybe pounding, you need to preach the gospel to your loudmouth emotions and tell them, sit down, be quiet, and listen to the gospel. Whatever you want to do, don't do it. Stop. Think carefully about your heart and ask God's help for you to do what's right. Stop, think, and seek. Be careful because you can invalidate the gospel. Last year sometime we had um, family that had come from out of town and it was a hot summer day. We thought, hey, you know what? There's a great water park in the area. Let's, we're going to go to this water park. So we loaded everybody up, went there, and it's about 4 o'clock or so in the afternoon, still pretty hot, paid the money to go in and had a great time for about an hour. And then one of those late summer thunderstorms started to develop. And it was still a long ways away. It hadn't really started raining all that much yet. And it thundered. And then as a result, a loudspeaker announcement came that, um, there's a storm coming, so everyone needs to go inside the, the main building. So we all went inside and started swimming in the indoor water park, which was not nearly as fun as the outdoor, but, you know, there's a storm that was coming. So it rained for about 10 minutes, and then it cleared, and then it was beautifully a beautiful uh, sunny day out, but they weren't letting us go outside yet. And so I actually kind of broke from the, the family and made my way out and was looking outside, and about that time, a, a very nice and polite um, lifeguard came and said, I'm sorry, sir, um, you, you still need to stay inside because we're still under this um, storm warning. And I said, oh, okay. I said, it's, it's like nice and sunny out. Can we go out anytime soon? And he said, well, you see, whenever it thunders, we have to wait 30 minutes. I said, oh, okay. And just as he said that, we're a minute later while we were talking, it thundered again, like way far away, like, like super far, like, like Westfield far away. And, um, and, and he was like, oh man, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but because it thundered, we have to wait another 30 minutes. And I was like, oh, are you serious? And so I'm looking at my watch. I'm thinking it's, it's, you know, getting late in the day. Da, 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 da. And I said, so you're telling me every time it thunders, no matter where we are, we, we have to stay inside. He said, yeah, I'm really sorry. And in the back of my mind, the narrative in my head is like this. What are you crazy? I just spent 40 bucks at this place. It's clearly sunny out. And how old are you anyways telling me what to do? Right? I mean, I, I had this narrative in my head, but, but, I, but I said, I said, oh, okay, thank you. I appreciate that. And, um, well, I'll just go back with my family. And as I started to walk away, he said, hey, uh, Pastor Mark. <laughs> and I turned and I said, yes. <laughs> he said, I just, I want to thank you that, I want to tell you that last week, that sermon on Sunday was really, really, really helpful. And I, and I was like, that's, I really thank you. You know, I want to, I want to get out of here. In my soul, I am panicking thinking if I had let the narrative in my head go, oh man, what would that have said about the previous week's sermon? I went back to my family like, oh, let's get out of here. Not only because it was storming, because I was like, whew, that was a close call. And I know I'm not alone in that narrative. And I know I'm not alone in the countless times that we have invalidated the gospel by our foolish actions. When you're angry, stop, think, and seek. 
Brothers and sisters, I urge you to take your anger to the foot of the cross, to repent of our self-centered recklessness, and let us turn to Jesus who was treated more unfairly than you and I could ever possibly imagine and yet he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Let us stop. Let us think. And let us seek. Let's pray. Father, we need your help um, because we feel the weight of this issue and we've we know its relevance. We, um, we've, we, we blow it a lot. And thank you that today, because of your sacrifice, Jesus, there is forgiveness and there's absolution from guilt. And thank you that we can come confessing our sins today. And there's forgiveness, even though we've blown it many, many times. And yet, Lord, we want to hear from you today. God, for people who are here who have no ability to deal with this issue because they've got no power, because they have no Christ, I pray that today might be a day where through a subject like anger, they might be awakened to the reality of their need for a Savior who can transform what they cannot touch, the heart. And then, Lord, for believers, oh, would you help us? Help us, Lord. In fact, Couch Park, while you're just in an attitude of prayer, I want to end today with this. If God by His Spirit has just struck a chord in your heart and you would say, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. I need you in this area. I want to just pray for you as we close and I just want you to do something a bit courageous. I just want you to raise your hand and keep it up. And by doing that, you're just saying, God, I I need you in this area and I want to sever parts of this today that are rooted in pride by just putting my hand up and saying, God, I I need you and keep it up. I'm going to pray for you. Keep your hand up. Lord, for these brothers and sisters who um, need you in this area, and in some respects we all do, but some more than others, we thank you for their candor and their honesty and pray that you would bless them. You have promised to give grace to the humble. And so by raising a hand, it's a little step of humility. And I believe you're going to pour out special grace in helping them to turn and to run to you, Jesus, today. So give them the ability by the Spirit to stop and to think and to seek. And would you let a big view of you and your word and what you're doing eclipse all other sinful desires for fairness and being treated rightly and all the things that are our agendas. So help us, God. We need to slay this issue before it does more damage. We don't want to invalidate the gospel. So give us grace, we pray. And we ask this in the authoritative name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and King. In His name, amen. Amen. God bless you, College Park. I love you. Thanks for coming today.